This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Earlier this month, U.S. Senator Joe Manchin announced that a big power plant fueled by natural gas would be built in West Virginia. But the plan is raising morning flags for some experts. I was surprised, one, at the size of the proposal. Um, An 1,800-megawatt gas-fired power plant is pretty unusual. It's very unusual when it's an unregulated facility. That story and more this West Virginia morning. Senate leaders are calling on Governor Jim Justice to include them as he takes his anti-amendment to argument on the road. Randy Yowie has more. Senate President Craig Blair, Republican from Berkeley County, says he needs to participate in the Justice Public Forums on Amendment 2. The proposed constitutional amendment would give the legislature authority to regulate property taxes. It is on the November 8th ballot. Blair says the justice presentations include numerous inaccuracies. He says the amendment does not do away with any taxes, and it's false that business and inventory taxes only benefit corporations. 70% of small business is made up of small West Virginia business, and they pay taxes on their equipment and inventory, their machinery, and their vehicles. Justice responded that when Blair was presenting his plan around the state, he wasn't invited. He said he won't get into a food fight. You can read the Senate tax cut plan on the WVPB website. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie. A coalition of educators, county representatives, nurses, and others gathered at West Virginia State Capitol Tuesday urging voters to say no to two proposed constitutional amendments this November. Caroline McGregor reports. The threat is great. We do not need to expand the power of the legislature. We need to have some local control and say within each county. That was Joe White, Executive Director of West Virginia School Service Personnel Association, talking about proposed constitutional amendments 2 and 4 on this November's ballot. Amendment 2 would give the legislature power to regulate property taxes, which are used to fund schools and libraries. Amendment 4 gives the legislature the power to overturn any proposed rules on education on things like what is taught in West Virginia classrooms. President of West Virginia Education Association Dale Lee and Fred Albert, president of the American Federation of Teachers of West Virginia, joined White and others present in calling Proposal 4 an attack on the public education system, putting total power to the West Virginia legislature. White said last year alone, legislators introduced 173 bills on education reform. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor in Charleston. A federal treason case against Navy submarine engineer Jonathan Toby and his wife Diana continued Tuesday morning at the U.S. District Court in Martinsburg. As Shepard Snyder reports, the two have entered a new plea agreement. The case involves the Tobys allegedly trying to sell secrets about nuclear-powered submarines to a foreign government. The couple previously pleaded guilty in February after being arrested in October of last year in Jefferson County. They withdrew the pleas after the initial agreement was rejected last month. The most recent plea hearing saw the Tobys readmit guilt for a new agreement. It involves what the prosecution called a sentence within the case's applicable guidelines. 
The maximum punishment could mean life in prison for the couple, though prosecutors are seeking the low end of the punishment in Diana's case. The binding terms are less concrete than the previous plea agreement, but makes the sentencing more in line with federal advisory guidelines. Under the previous agreement, Jonathan Toby would have seen 12 to 16 years in prison. Diane Toby would have seen three. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Shepard Snyder in Martinsburg. The state's COVID-19 numbers continue to improve incrementally, but as Chris Schultz reports, the virus is still claiming lives. Governor Jim Justice read 23 more COVID-19 deaths Tuesday, bringing the state's total deaths from the pandemic to 7,402. Justice and his advisors pointed out 95% of the state's COVID-19 deaths have been people 50 or older. At the end of the day, that wisdom is lost. 75% of those 7,402 deaths have been people over the age of 65. We'll miss and we'll never recover from the loss of that wisdom. It's really sad. Justice continued to advocate not only for COVID-19 vaccinations, but also flu vaccinations to avoid a, quote, compoundingly worse situation as temperatures continue to fall. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. U.S. Senator Joe Manchin abandoned his bid Tuesday for now to enact permitting reforms for energy projects. Manchin had an agreement with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to attach his legislation to a spending bill lawmakers must pass by Friday to keep the government open. He needed 60 votes to get it passed. Some Democrats, including Virginia's Tim Kaine and Republican Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, opposed Manchin's legislation. It would have fast-tracked the mountain Valley Pipeline, a natural gas pipeline Manchin once completed. Manchin may be able to try again later this year. His West Virginia counterpart, Republican Shelley Moore Capito, has a similar bill of her own. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.50. Areas of dense fog this morning. There's a chance of rain with mostly cloudy skies in the north, partly to mostly sunny in the south. High temperatures today in the 50s and low 60s. Partly cloudy tonight, lows in the 30s and 40s, and mostly sunny tomorrow with highs in the 60s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torreseva Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresavaLaw.com. Earlier this month, U.S. Senator Joe Manchin announced that a big power plant fueled by natural gas would be built in West Virginia. The plant will be designed to capture its carbon dioxide emissions and store them underground. The company that will build the plant says it will capture as much as 95 percent of the carbon it produces. 
Dennis Wamstead, an energy analyst with the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, spoke with Curtis Tate and gave the plan a reality check. You said the announcement of this plant surprised you. Why? I was surprised, one, at the size of the proposal. Um, An 1,800-megawatt gas-fired power plant is pretty unusual. Um, and it's very unusual when it's a uh, unregulated facility. That's a lot of risk. Um, a 1800 megawatts of trying to sell into the PJM, you know, competitive market. And you're potentially doing that. Well, get, pick a year. They haven't said a year, but 2028, maybe 2029, 2030. Any idea what the price of gas is going to be then? Uh, not me. I have no idea. Well, so you're, you know, selling your your product into a competitive market with a your base unit. You don't know what it's going to cost. Um, so I mean, that's you know, if they're going to go out on a limb, you know, God bless them. But that that seems like a huge risk to me. Carbon capture is supposed to be part of this operation. What concerns do you have about that? Carbon capture has never been installed at big commercial scale on a natural gas plant. There have been proposals. Um, there's a couple, there's one or two in California, um, and there's one or two elsewhere that have been proposed, but none of them have been have been built. Um, and so uh, there was a, a very relatively successful small demonstration in Massachusetts in the 1990s and 2000s on a ga- on gas-fired uh, combustion. But that was on the order of 50 or 75 megawatts. And so the, the scale up from there to 1,800 megawatts is enormous. You don't usually go from that level to that level. Um, so, I mean, to me, that raises a bunch of, well, at least yellow flags, if not red flags, because, you know, maybe it's possible, but I, I don't know. I, I would like to see something a little smaller first. <laughs> How realistic is it for the plant to capture 90% to 95% of CO2 as promised? There aren't examples for gas plants, so we don't know how it's going to work. So he can say it's going to work at, it's going to capture 90% of the carbon. I would say, build it and show me. I'm not going to believe him until it runs for two years. Or, you know, the other thing that we have been very critical of is the contention by folks in the carbon capture business about how they can do 90% capture every day for 15 years. And that has never proven out. Um, you know, the, the Petronova facility and the Boundary Dam facility are the two only operating coal-fired um, carbon capture facilities in the world. And neither of them have um, met their capture targets or prove that they can operate for a long period of time at a very high level. Um, and we don't have any background, as I said, we don't have any background for the gas industry. So, you know, maybe it does work at 90% for a year or two, but, you know, in 10 years, is it still going to do the same thing? And if the theory here is that we are working to cut carbon emissions, uh, if you can't rely on this facility to capture 90% of the carbon, then basically we're worse off than we were to start with. We should have built more solar and more wind and some more battery storage and gone that route. What are the challenges of putting a plant of this size on the grid? 
somebody is going to lose. And as I said in my email to you, um, this plant may get built and it may get built with carbon capture, but that is going to force somebody else out of the market. There, there isn't a market for an, you know, an 1800 megawatt gas plant, which is not being built in a vacuum. Obviously there are people who want to build solar and there are people who want to build storage and there are people who want to build wind and they're all already in the queue before this company got into the queue and we both know that the queue is actually frozen right now so nothing's getting um studied or or uh, pushed forward and a plant that is that big is going to have very significant impacts on the transmission system and so that's another factor that would come into play here they're going to have some probably significant upgrade costs getting onto the system because they're not planning to build this at a retiring plant. So, you know, they're not taking over somebody else's uh, infrastructure. Like for example, if you, if you bought the Pleasance coal fired plant and closed it and built a gas plant there, your transmission connections would be a lot simpler because the capacity is already there. Right. Well, that's not what they seem to be planning to do. They haven't even said where they're going to put the plant. So if they put it at a greenfield facility, that's another big sticking point, and it's going to cost them a lot of money because you can't just throw 1,800 megawatts onto one little point in the PJM transmission system. It, 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 <laughs> that's just too much. Is this a big job creator? Will it put a lot of West Virginians to work? You know, it's a big gas plant, but once they're built, they don't have a lot of people. You know, no. it's, not a, it's not a coal plant. You know, in in that sense, you know, there there aren't 250 people at a gas plant when it's built and running like there would be at a a sort of a comparably sized uh, coal plant. So who knows where they're going to get their their construction workers from or their, you you know, if they're going to be union, not union, all that. But a lot of times these people, they they go from project to project. They're not necessarily new hires, you know from from the locale where the plant is built they are shipped in because they actually know what they're doing and you know they they know how to build a gas plant and they build it and they leave so it, you know there is a definitely an uh, you know an influx of money i wouldn't deny that but it's not necessarily the economic development boon that some might pretend it is That was Dennis Wamstead with the Institute for Energy, Economics, and Financial Analysis, speaking with Curtis Tate about a big power plant proposed for West Virginia. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, David Adkins, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.